Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 93 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Clio, online practice management for attorneys at goclio.com. In our last podcast, we wondered whether we were now living in a giant public beta test of our technology. This week, we wanted to talk about some of our recent experiences with the attitudes and perspectives of lawyers on technology and discuss the eternal question of whether lawyers will always be late adopters of technology. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? In this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we're thinking about some of the reasons why lawyers adopt or don't adopt new technologies. In our second segment, we'll be answering an audience question, and as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, and that's technology adoption among lawyers. I think we can both agree that it goes without saying that lawyers by nature are cautious about many things, and I think technology seems to be one of those things that is especially touchy for many lawyers. Personally, that really doesn't bother me. I I think if all lawyers were caught up technology-wise, that would give us a lot less to talk about here on this podcast and, and in general, but in an age where... Ethics rules are starting to require lawyers to understand the technology they use to serve their clients. I think that this reluctance to adopt new technologies really becomes a bit more concerning. I swear, Dennis, that we've talked about this before on several previous podcasts. So why are we still talking about it? Well, because I I, I have a sense it's getting worse, actually, because I've talked to some lawyers recently, and it's just giving me a lot of pause when I hear where people are. and, and, And I also emphasize we're talking about computer technology and also, to me, more importantly, internet technologies where lawyers really seem to be lagging behind. If you talk to lawyers about um, luxury cars and other technologies like that, they're, they're pretty good with technology. So it's not that lawyers can't learn it. And the other thing that, that really kind of got me thinking about this topic was a friend of ours um, who's a consultant put on, on her her Facebook newsfeed uh, a picture from a law office with a computer monitor that looked to me like it was running a DOS program. So I think that there's a there's a lot going on out there that really still surprises me after after a number of years. And I know Tom, you're out there talking to lawyers a lot and and especially concentrating on on the iPad, but. Um, th- don't you find that you're still running into lawyers who who really seem a remarkable number of years behind the curve? Well, I think that's right. Although, although I would say that in every audience I meet, I've I, I see people who are interested in learning more and who are trying to get ahead of the curve. But I think you make a good point about the iPad. I think the iPad is different. And and maybe that's part of what we'll talk about today. And what makes the difference is the iPad is such a simple device to learn to use. You you've got you see pictures of three year olds and, and 90 year olds using the device without a lot of problems. I think having a low learning curve is definitely one of the keys to technology adoption. Because of that, I have been seeing a lot more lawyers giving presentations on the iPad for lawyers. Lawyers who 
would never have thought about giving a technology presentation in the past are out there talking about how to use a piece of technology to use in the practice of law. Now, on, on the other hand, I find that when I talk about the iPad, I will invariably get a question about uh, a lawyer will ask, can I can I work with WordPerfect files on my iPad? And so I, I know that for every lawyer who is adopting technology, there's still 10 who are reluctant to move forward. And, uh, you know, I think seeing... I, I don't know that necessarily that all, always applies just to the uh, to the legal field. I know a number of companies who happen to still be using, uh, uh, whether advisedly or not, using DOS-based programs that are homegrown, that things that they haven't been able to get away from. And I, th- I think that one of the reasons uh, for for sticking with that sort of technology is is less fear and and more cost. But I think there's a number of reasons uh, uh, about that. Um, you know, I think there were two blog post that we saw um, recently that, Dennis, you pointed out to me about uh, why these types of changes uh, and, and why people in general are hesitant to adopt to, to change when it comes to technology or really anything else. What was it that kind of struck you about those blog posts that you read? Well, there are two, two posts, and we'll put them in the show notes. One's, uh, and The one I think we'll focus on today is, is Michael Sampson's Why is New Technology Not Adopted? Um, and then there's one from Gerald Spool called Why People Adopt or Wait for New Te- Technology. And, and I think they're both significant posts because they sum up uh, a lot of thinking. Tom, when we wrote our collaboration tools book, we, we had this, uh, this sort of formula, I guess, or formulation of, of when you would move from one technology uh, to another. And, and we sort of focused on the system or the process that you had more so than the technology, you know, that you wanted to either replace an existing system with something, you know, demonstrably better that, that made your life better or, or you know, the system, uh, the new system just improved things greatly, or that the technology could make an existing system that you used and you weren't going to move from significant better and again in, in ways that are really demonstrable to you um, and and because I think that that lawyers when it comes to technology are um, we all have these systems that we use processes we use some of them are well defined some of them just sort of exist and and we aren't all that aware of them and we live in a world that has huge stress so changing technology um, Especially during the transition, can make uh, can make your stress higher or make things worse during that transition. And so, I, I think that this sort of uh, inherent conservatism, you know, in the sense of slowness to change of lawyers, is heightened in the world of technology because if things go wrong, then all these little structures you've created to make sure things get done and keep your stress at a level that you can deal with, all of a sudden, those start to come apart. Are you worried that they're they're going to come apart and the technology is going to make things worse? So I, I think that's sort of the, the, to me, the real important thing when you think about lawyers with technology is, is that, you know, it's not that they're necessarily the little boy or little girl with their finger in the dike in the, in the Netherlands, but sometimes with the stress and the pressures on lawyers, I think you do get that feel where you say, oh my God, and now you're going to add technology that might or might not work on top of that. And so I, I think that's a, a big piece of it. Tell me you want to kind of launch into maybe uh, Samson's five key roadblocks to adoption? 
Actually, I want to give that to you. I, I, what resonated with me more was was Jared Spool's article on why people adopt or wait for new technology, and and I, I really thought that these reasons were to the point and make a lot of sense to me. Um, the, the 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 reasons why uh, he thinks that people tend to adopt new technology faster than others um, really comes down to to three reasons. One is social status. You know, I'm the first. I'm the cool kid with the iPhone five. Uh, I'm I've got. The, the, the latest in the new technology and being able to have other people gather around and ooh and ah, there's, there's a social status aspect to it that uh, I know that there are some lawyers who, who, have, that, uh, who have that need. Um, there's the need to keep up for professional reasons, probably less prominent in the legal field, uh, keeping up for professional reasons by using certain kinds of technologies, although frankly, um, a trial lawyer probably wants to, uh, you know, to make sure that if, if they're used to using litigation technology uh, in the court Courtroom. They they want to make sure that they're using the, the latest so that uh, so so that they are always maintaining a competitive advantage against uh, their opponent uh, and showing uh, off uh, good technology for the jury. I think the main reasons why lawyers might adopt new technology more than those two though is that that. The technology solves an immediate and active need that I have a need for this. Um, it's immediate. And I become aware that there's a technology or a tool that can solve this need for me or that can address this need. And that makes it easy for them to become new adopters. Uh, conversely, there are three reasons in, in, in this blog post that uh, he says that, that people wait to adopt technology. And I think they that makes sense. One is they haven't identified the need yet or, or they don't know that a product exists to solve the need that they do have. And I think that, and when we get to sort of our recommendations, that's going to be one of my biggest thing is people don't know what they don't know. And by, um, by, by, by with that ignorance, I think, uh, makes it difficult to, to adopt things. Cost. The cost of both purchasing the technology and the soft costs of learning that technology, getting up to speed on it, getting your office up to speed on it. I think when, Dennis, you talk about the stress of having to adopt a new technology and just the stresses that are, are involved uh, during a transition, uh, that's certainly part of the cost. It's not just a, a dollar figure that we talk about when we think cost here. There are many other things that uh, that can be expensive for a lawyer when you're adopting new technologies. And then, and then I know many lawyers... And, 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 you know, fortunately uh, or, or unfortunately, I, I think that, that, that most of the lawyers I know in this category are of the later generation. And that is sort of the bitter end lawyers hanging on and using technology until it dies, until it goes away. I, I think that that younger generations of lawyers are are maybe more uh, used to uh, replacing things on a normal schedule, which is probably exactly what the technology companies want. Um, but, uh, but, a, but a bitter ender, I think, also has some disadvantages because they, they miss out on a lot of new functionality uh, by, by, by waiting and, and not buying something uh, and, and, and until their product is, is ready to be buried in the ground. Dennis, how, how, does, how do Michael Sampson's you know, key roadblocks to adoption compare with those? Well, I think there's there's a lot of similarity, and I, I think that in the in Spool's formulation, I, I think that um, solving an active need is so key in in the adoption. And then and then you also touched on something where I think 
in the world of, of cell phones, smartphones, we're used to this sort of, are getting used to a two-year cycle of, of switching out our technology. And so I think it's, that's become difficult for some people who go back. I mean, you always use the word perfect example with lawyers where you do run into people who say word perfect just works. And if you're on a, you know, 20, 25 year, um, you know, change, change cycle for technology, then the idea that you change something every two years is, 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 is just really frightening. Um, but Samson's roadblocks, uh, and there are five of them, is that technology doesn't make sense for the work, uh, which is sort of the flip of uh, you switch because it solves an active, ongoing need. The second one is technology takes too long to learn. The third one, which I, I think is really important, is that no one explains the possibilities. So you see, like I said, you just see, oh, we're getting new technology. We're getting the newest version of Microsoft Office. And nobody really tells you, you know, what what the possibilities of that are. You just go like, oh, my God, the menus changed. This is in a different place, all of that. And so it, it looks like it's a real burden. The fourth one is equally valid alternatives. Uh, to me, that is sort of a classic example of, of that is, you know, back in the days when the you know, the senior partner would have the email, you know, printed out so they could deal with it and then write a response and then have a secretary, uh, you know, email it back, which was a totally valid alternative. Um, it made sense in the world that that senior partner was living in. And the fifth thing is a whole raft of technology issues, which is sort of you, you saying, I would like to do this. This sounds great, but oh, um, now I got to buy this and I got to buy this and I got to upgrade this. And, and it's, you know, so one thing sets off a whole bunch of, of other things. And, and so I think all of those, um, and, and why I think uh, Samson's blog post is great is that if you kind of walk through those things as you think about a new technology, you can kind of see where you're at and uh, what sort of what are the barriers you need to get over uh, to adopt a new technology. And, and I think the big one for me is that nobody really explains the, the possibilities. And I'll go about, Tom, just briefly to in 2003, I wrote an article on RSS and, and newsreaders, and I said, I knew the world had changed the first morning I checked my news aggregator before I checked my email. And so this is transformative technology for me now for, for almost 10 years. And I recently talked to a lawyer audience, and I said, who uses Google Reader? And, and there were three or four people who, who raised their hands in the room. And so um, – that that to me is sort of that's I think another thing that set off me thinking about this uh, this topic because th there's amazing possibilities just in in the use of RSS but I don't think uh, most lawyers have anyone who's really done a good job of explaining that to them. I, I think that's partially it. I I, I you know I I was listening to a uh, I was reading an interview with a, a tech person. He was asked what uh, what what news magazines or news sites do you read? And his response was, I don't read the news. The news tells me what already happened. Um, I read feeds to let me know what's going on right now. Um, and whether that's Google Reader or whether that's reading Twitter, I find I used to uh, find when people said that they they only use Twitter to uh, they, 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 they use Twitter now to, to catch up on the news. I used to laugh at that thinking there's surely more to it. But I find that I get more relevant, quick information just from reading my Twitter feed than uh, the than I do by going to CNN or, or Associated Press or any news site. I find that I'm getting that information updated for me much faster. But but I think that 
people like that, people who are doing that, tend to be um, a certain a certain breed of people. I, and I think those are people who are tech friendly. I think that, uh, especially among lawyers, uh, that type of person's in the minority. It, it makes me want to ask. This kind of technology can make things so much easier for lawyers to keep up. So why don't they use it? And I think that you're right. I think that the the answer to that is that that, that technology one is not easy to understand. It's not an easy technology to 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 get your your mind around. I've tried to say forget about how it works. Just understand what it does to you. Which is where you come to. What are the possibilities? And and frankly, in my um in in, in my line of work, um, what Michael Sampson says really resonates with me because because when we go into a company and, and recommend change, whether it's form of technology or just new policies and procedures, um, we have to introduce to them, here's what's going to happen and here's why it's going to be a benefit to you. There's always a what's in it for you type thing that we need to introduce. And that's what I think Samson is talking about here is saying, here's how it will benefit you and and make it easier for you to, uh, to, to, to practice law, I think is what we need to be doing better with technology. And I think that a lot of legal technology providers need to have that message come across in a, in, in a way that um, I, I guess is currently not translating, but that's uh that's kind of the way that I view Samson's uh, Samson's opinions. Dennis, um, to take us out of this segment, what uh, what are your recommendations uh, for lawyers who who are hesitant or reluctant to adopt new technologies? Well, I I guess I'm still a bit of an optimist on this because I, I think that that uh, technology is, is sort of transformative in a lot of ways. That uh, I would look to the things of how I, I want somebody, whether it's me or the person who's trying to sell me on technology, to show me how it really makes sense for what I'm doing and it will help me on an everyday basis. Um, I want to get a good sense of what type of training I need or how how quickly can I learn that. And then I, for me, I want somebody who's out there saying, look, this is how far this can go. Here are the possibilities. Um, so I can say, Oh, do you mean really I can do this so I can get this information to my clients? My clients won't have to call me. They get everything they need. They're happy to me. I, you know, they're, I, they're tied to them, which is sort of the whole theory of extranets. Oh, a podcast is I can time shift a great audio program and I can learn this stuff when I want, especially have a long commute. Um, and I see the possibilities of it. So I think that's where maybe we're falling down a little bit. And um, the people who explain lawyers, uh, technologies to lawyers is that I, I don't think we're kind of opening up the big picture of how transformative uh, technology can be. And so I, I know sometimes that's a hard sell to lawyers, really. But um, I, I think that you need to have that. So you say, look, there's there's something out there that could be really cool. You know, I, I want to recommend I'm, I, in, in the in the grandest tradition of Dennis Kennedy's three steps that you can take right now. Here are sort of my three recommendations for, for, for lawyers who are hesitant to adopt new technology. The first is identify whether you have a need, you know, is there something that you're doing in your practice that you could do better with a different technology? And, and sometimes that's hard. Like we, like I said, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And that can be a very frustrating feeling to have. And you haven't really connected how technology can help with a particular need. So that, that may mean that you talk with an expert about this. You maybe have a law office technology audit, uh, so that you can understand your current situation and, and where you could be headed with the right technology or, or just sit down for coffee 
with a with a techie lawyer that you know and and pick his or her brain and find out whether they have any suggestions. After you identify that need, I think the second step has to be to understand your options. Now that I know kind of what my need is and how technology can help me, are there different ways of addressing the need or is it relatively simple? Um, narrow this down, I think, to a couple of options. That's what I do so you can better make a decision and and. I think that that's where following podcasts like this or keeping up with legal technology publications really comes in because it helps you keep aware of what's out there and what's the latest in legal technology. And and then finally, my third step is once you've narrowed down those options, once you understand what's available out there, look and see if there are free tools that you can check out without having to make an investment. I'm always a fan of either a free tool um, or a trial. Uh, many companies won't offer a free tool, but they'll give you a free 30-day trial without any obligation. And I jump on those like crazy to see if it's something that's interesting that I might want to use. There, I think there are dozens of tools that are out there that are free that can solve many law office technology needs. And I think experimenting with a free tool is a good way to get a feel for that technology, again, without having to uh, to go full uh, whole hog into it and, uh, and, and make an investment in the product. Dennis, any close Closing thoughts to get us out of here? No, I, I, I think that's I, – I, th- I think you've summed it up really well. I mean put in a plug, of course, for the ABA's law practice management section which and the, the resources they, they have there that, that are great um, as a way – both as a way for, for you to get great information and as a way to find a community of, of people who are interested in these topics would, would be the one thing that I might add. But that's – people who know us know that's always going to be our recommendation. Well, and, and to add to that, um, certainly the resources from the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center, which is really designed to help lawyers make decisions about the right kinds of technologies. They're, they're offering free webcasts on different types of legal technology topics every month. Um, great resource. So uh, we'll put a link to that, but check it out. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsor, Clio. <laughs> Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the role of security in cloud computing. Jack, what about security? Are there any ethical or security-related concerns that need to be addressed with cloud computing? We're starting to see the first ethics opinions come out on cloud computing, and the early proposed ethics opinions like that from the North Carolina State Bar indicate that there are no ethical issues relating to the use of cloud computing in a law firm, but that as with the use of any third-party provider, an appropriate amount of due diligence needs to be undertaken to verify that the provider you're using has implemented an adequate level of security and privacy precautions and is essentially taking due care with your confidential client data. We've been talking to Jack Newton president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, we wanted to answer a question from the audience. It goes like this. 
I know that you are in St. Louis and Tom is in Dallas, but it sounds like you're both in the same room. How do you do that? And do you have any tips for podcasters? Tom, do you want to reveal some of our secrets? Because we do get asked questions, sort of inside baseball podcasting questions from time to time, and this might be a good topic. Well, I think it's uh, I think that it's unfair to have to answer this question because our answers would probably be a lot easier than 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 those who don't have such a fantastic team as Legal Talk Network working with us to do that. But from a basic standpoint, um, it starts with the equipment. It starts with having the right equipment. We we use a a high quality microphone. I'm not a big expert on microphones, but uh, but there you 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 need a microphone that can record you in, in a high quality that you've you've installed a driver into the computer so that you're not just working with a you know your webcam mic or or some other external mic that doesn't really have the uh, the same quality i am um, i i i use one of those little screens that shields the microphone so that i don't have to uh, you don't hear as many of the puzz and the tuz and all of the hard syllables um although i suspect that uh, that the uh, that, that mike is good at editing those out or softening those if i if i if if they do get through the screen, uh, having good software to record uh, your, your your audio. I, I use Audacity. Audacity is the program that I use, which is free. I think that it uh, is a great audio recording tool. It uh, works directly with the microphone. It records in a very high quality uh, sound. And um, I can then take that audio file and export it into any format that I need to, whether it's an MP3 or a WAV file. I can edit it to uh, to if I if there's something in the recording I don't like I can make a change to it. Um, so it's a, it's I think a very friendly and easy uh, audio tool to use. Uh, there are it's very powerful. So there's lots of, of tools under the under the hood if if you want to dig in and learn more about it. But I think just for basic use, it's pretty simple to use. That's really all we wind up doing, Dennis. From our standpoint, uh, we turn it over then to the to the folks at Legal Talk Network, and they they make it sound so much better than I think we could if we were necessarily doing it ourselves. Dennis, any any other tips you want to add? Yeah. Well, Tom, to answer the specific question I had, we, we do the, the classic, what they call double ender, so that we, Tom and I are each recording on our own side, our side of the uh, of the podcast, uh, with a you know high quality mic, the audacity, uh, and and the settings to to bring it in in, in really high quality, um, and then we're talking either on the phone or on on Skype, um, and then it gets mixed together, so that gives you the sense that we're we're both in in the same room, um, and. And so actually, the, uh, I used to edit, uh, when Tom and I first tried doing these podcasts, I used to edit them together. And it's a lot of work. And a tool like Audacity is great. But really getting that high quality sound in uh, is is key. And then, then also, as you say, Tom, we, the, the Legal Talk Network team that we've worked with, Kate, Mike, uh, Lou have just been great, and and when we were doing it on our own, I just remember Tom, you and I had a conversation once that you know, we were trying to decide whether you'd even do the, one more podcast because of so much work, and we said, you know, if we could be on the Legal Talk Network, that would be totally ideal. And uh, then we got the the contact from 
from Lou, Lou Ann Reeb, who said, would you guys like to be on the Legal Talk Network? And we were like, would we? I mean, that'd be awesome. And so what, what you what you find is when you go with a production team, especially of, of this high a quality, then you're able to accomplish a lot. And they've saved us when we've had technical problems. There, we're currently working. There's, there's some really uh, difficult logistical issues about how we record it uh, because where I'm at. And they've been able to work around this and, and give people the feeling that we're both in the same room talking, which is is pretty amazing. So, you know, part of the segment time, I think, is just a huge thank you to to Legal Talk Network for giving us this opportunity. No, I, I think that's true. I, I, I want to thank everybody, uh, uh, Lou, Kate and Mike, also for all the great work that they've done for us on this. Um, I, I will say, though, that if if they're at, if they're looking for tips, I mean, it, the, 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 the tip that's the hardest to give is can I do this by myself? Because uh, I, I think it I think it becomes harder. It, it's certainly possible to do it. Dennis, you said you did it. It took a long time. I know several good podcasts that are able to do it. I know the the, the Mac Power Users podcast. They're doing that on their own. Um, I think that uh, there are others that do it on their own that uh, that that. That, that sound pretty good, but uh, it's 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 a tough it's it's a it's a lot tougher um, if you don't have the right equipment and you're you're prepared to do it yourself. I think that that my tip would be get a good microphone, get good recording software, and be prepared if you're going to do it yourself to put in some work on editing to make it uh, to make it sound good. And now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use a second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. I have been a huge fan of, uh, of, of Dropbox. I, I mentioned Dropbox every session I talk. I, we, I know lots of lawyers are using Dropbox. Many people will ask me, is Dropbox secure? And there have been some concerns about Dropbox's security. And so to those people, I have in the past recommended a tool called Secret Sync. Secret Sync um, allows you essentially to create a folder within Dropbox that is encrypted so that even the Dropbox folks can't get into that folder so that if you want to use it to hold confidential information, you install a secret sync folder inside your Dropbox folder, and that provides even additional encrypted security for your documents. I learned uh, one of the one of the problems with Drop with Secret Sync is that you're unable to actually work with those any documents in that folder. You can't work with them on your iPad or on your iPhone, and that's been a frustration. But I learned this past week that Secret Sync is actually evolving into a new site. I, I don't know whether it's called Vivo or Vivo, but it's V I I V O. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it is a it is a very similar tool to Secret Sync. Uh, it's made by the folks who uh, it's made by PKWare, who is responsible for the for the PKZip software. So you know that they are used to doing quality encryption products. And best of all, they will have both an Android and an iOS app, so that you can access your documents through your iPad or your iPhone or your Android device and uh, and edit them and work on them uh, just as you would any other Dropbox document. So Vivo, Vivo, not sure which one it is, V-I-I-V-O. They're still in beta, um, but definitely worth a look. Dennis. Yeah, that's a great one, Tom, because that, that question does come up a, a lot with, with lawyers. I, I have two quick ones. One, I go back once again, as I've gone back many times in Parting Shots, to Dave Taylor's blog. And he has a new post, which is called, 
which of my Facebook friends like Romney or Obama? And it's, uh, you know, Allison Shields and I have just, you know, published the book Facebook in one hour for lawyers. So we're always on the lookout for great tips on Facebook. But this is this is a really good one because it it shows this is can be a really annoying time during the election period as your uh, friends um, who you now realize are incredibly political are posting stuff all the time. And, and so there are ways that you can you can do some search and see who likes what. So it could be bands, could be other things. But this is really useful here in the uh, the political season because then you can see uh, you can uh, do a search following Dave's tip and identify all the people who've liked, uh, you know, formally liked either Obama or Romney. And then you can be careful uh, when you talk to them the next time because uh, you'll know what to expect. And the other one I wanted to mention, which goes back to something earlier this year, because I, I see it uh, sort of posted in front of me, is Bill Taylor had a blog post in uh, the Harvard Business Review blog that was called, Are You Learning As Fast As The World Is Changing? And I recommend it before, and I recommend it because I've posted this, so I see this question every day, and it gives me something to think about. And I just think it's a really important question for everybody to be asking themselves at this time. Yeah, I am. I'm not sure about that Facebook tip. I am. My my tip is <laughs> that I would. I if I had it to do over again, I would avoid Facebook during the election cycle every time because I I'm learning uh, things that I don't necessarily want to know about my my friends on Facebook. But uh, it's a good tip if you're interested in seeing uh, who supports who. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, uh, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or reach us at Twitter on tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. You'll never be called a late adopter if you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.